You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams. And I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. On today's episode of The Journey. All right, you deer hunters. Y'all have to listen to this one. It is starting. It's getting ready. We're already halfway through our deer season. Our rifle season hasn't started yet. It actually starts um, this week, and I mean we're we're right in the meat and potatoes of the deer season here in Virginia. We're going to travel up 77, and I'm going to go up across 79, and then we're going to dip off there. What is it? 48. Uh, yeah. Go into Buchanan, West Virginia. 
And guys, we like I said, we've we've hit this topic before, but we got a little twist to it today. So, deer hunters, I hope you're listening. <clears throat> but today we got a guest on here with us. His name is Sean Butler, and Sean runs Long Spur Tracking and Outfitters in Buchanan. And they've got seven different states that they cover. They use a an array of different dogs, which is going to be exciting to learn and to listen. Um, we're going to talk about scene preservation today. You know, what, is it, what does it take from the hunter to make it more successful for the hound? Because I know in the law enforcement world, you know, we, we do roll call training. We do training on the side. You know, we teach our guys that, hey, when you have this type of um, incident and you want the dogs to come in and track, we need you guys to be mindful of X, Y, and Z. So that's what we're going to try to bring to you today is what do you deer hunters, bear hunters, turkey hunters, elk hunters, what do you guys need to do if you wound an animal um, before the tracking guys come in and actually put the dog on the track and track it? What can you do to make it more successful and, and ensure that the animal, the dog has a better chance of tracking the game so you can harvest it? Um, without messing that up. So, Sean, how are you this evening? Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? I am great. And you said you had a little snow up your way. Yes, sir. I, I think we got about a inch on the ground right now, and it's still snowing. So. Well, I know you're a little bit north of me, but you can keep all the snow. When I was a kid, I loved it. And as I've gotten older, especially having to work in it and push numerous cars out of ditches when it snows i don't enjoy it anymore and yeah I'm, I'm getting older too i just uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, about march it starts wearing on you, <laughs> you know? yes it does and you know again i guess when you're younger you don't think about you know being wet or you know having snow falling down the the cuff of your shirt and getting down in the the your boots into your pants and everything. And I just now, you know, like I said, now that I'm a little older, I'm a little more mindful of those things. I really like my comfort. I like to be warm and dry. <laughs> and right. the snow does not allow that sometimes, does it? No, it doesn't. And it's something we've been putting up with the last two or three days up here tracking. So I just just throw on the wool and hit the hit the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Wool is a good good clothing to wear that's for sure and that i learned that from my buddies up north they 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 live in that stuff so yes, so sir so sean tell us um tell us a little bit about um tell us a little bit about you um what what your business is about um where all you're covered and then we'll try to get into the dogs and what got you started okay sure um Long spur tracking and outfitting is our business, and uh, we uh, we got started a few years ago as a as a turkey call company, and as West Virginia legalized um, wounded game tracking, um, we went ahead and got into that, and it's just exploded, and, and we've grown ever since. Um, we offer wounded game tracking in seven different states. Of course, West Virginia being our primary state. Uh, we also cover uh, parts of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, 
We have an affiliate in Virginia. Uh, we also cover Kentucky and Illinois. So mm-hmm. seven different states, and, and we continue to get contacts each day. So hopefully we'll, we'll be adding some houndsmen and, and dogmen to our, to our team uh, after season and continue to grow into next season. Well, so where's your affiliate affiliate in uh, Virginia located? Uh, he is down in the Roanoke area, and he covers. For, he likes to cover from Roanoke uh, on up uh, seventy seven and sixty four towards Bluefield, uh, Virginia, and uh, he he's growing. He runs a bloodhound. His name's Rick Hyde, and uh, you can find him as um, Virginia Wounded Game Recovery on Facebook. So yeah, Roanoke's uh, just Rick, right up the road for me. Yeah, and Rick's a real good guy. He's he's a retired military. <clears throat> he was a dog man in the military. Did a lot of training, and a very knowledgeable hunter. And and that's what it takes, you know, somebody that can work a dog and also has the knowledge of being a good woodsman uh, to be a good tracker. So. All right, and you said, um, and, and and I may have missed it, but you said that y'all y'all will track um, turkey, elk, deer bear anything that's wounded anything that's wounded and and legal for us to track in the state we're in mm-hmm. um i mean uh, west virginia we have wild boars but for some reason they don't allow us to track those yet i'm hoping that changes um but uh of course our main focus is deer mm-hmm. uh deer and that's where 95 percent of our calls come in is yeah. for deer so how long have you been doing the tracking? Well, and this is something that, you know, we get questioned about all the time. We have a dog uh, training school here uh, for tracking dogs and bird dogs. And uh, I've been I've been into training and bird dogs and tracking deer for the last 30 years. Now, in West Virginia, it's only been legal for three years. Mm-hmm. But as a young man growing up in the hollows of West Virginia, it was just something we didn't recognize was illegal at the time. Mm-hmm. And we had dogs that would find deer, and they were bird dogs. Uh, had English setters and springers that, that you know, if, if we hit a deer and lost it, we just took them out and found the deer. And that evolved over the years. And once we figured out it wasn't legal, uh, we worked hard and lobbied. Um, and took a very active role to get it legalized in West Virginia. So um, that's that's where we stand at today. Um, my background uh, as a hunter and a, and a dog guy has always been uh, bird dogs and hounds. I grew up uh, coon hunting, bear hunting with hounds, mm-hmm. and running bird dogs. English setters and spaniel, springer spaniels mostly mm-hmm. at that time. So what kind of dogs did you run? What kind of hounds did you run? Well, we had Walker and Blue Tick Crosses. Uh, back in back in the day, that purebred, uh, purebred lines wasn't a thing. It was if a guy over in this hollow had a good coon dog, you crossed it with a good coon dog over here, and, uh-huh. and you hope you got some good thoughts. So uh, we always had a, a different hounds, and, and they, they worked good, and we were happy with them. And as a, you know, you older, mature, travel and see the world, you you start learning pedigrees and stuff, and and start playing playing with the purebreds. Yeah. So, and I had I want to follow up a question. You said that you, I mean, and, and like we run 
uh, we've got five. Let me think. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, we've got five pointers in our the group that I run. Um, okay. We've got four the German short hairs, and then we have one wired haired. So mm-hmm. from my experience tracking with those those dogs, now I've had several in the past. I mean, we've retired, some's passed away, but right now I have five. So my experience with those dogs tracking, I have one dog that um, I, I actually trained him a certain way because I did not want him chasing odor, which means head up doing the bird dog thing. Right. Um, I wanted him more... Um, I wanted him showing the handler more of being on the ground. Um, so we worked a lot of ground disturbance. We've done a lot of article searches to get him to get him to show a different type of profile. So when you're using your bird dogs, are they, are they air scenting more or are they tracking or do you see a pretty much a balance or a combination of both that's kind of even keel? That that's a great question because I just had this conversation this evening with one of our young trackers over in Ohio that's running a young uh, GWP, mm-hmm. and he he asked me the same, uh, basically a training question. Uh, mm-hmm. He was on a deer. Uh, he knew he was on the track. The dog was nose down, and it hit an air thermal, and it it air scented the deer. And he said, "What should I do?" You know. Should I let him go straight to the deer? Should I make him track? And with the GWPs, I I want all tracking dogs to track. So I told him, make him finish the track out, especially if you can see the deer out ahead. Make him finish the track out. Uh, they do do a lot of air scenting. Mm-hmm. And, and we, on a busy day, when we're running three or four tracks, if I have a dog that'll air scent, locate, go right to the deer and, and recover so I can go to the next one, I'll take that. But I, I also don't let my young dogs do that until they have a year, year and a half of tracking under their belt. Um, then I let them be a bird dog. I mean, if that makes sense to you. Uh, yeah. I try to keep them on track, do their nose down job. So um, then we get to that point where where they can be a bird dog. And, uh, if they want to take me straight to a deer and I have that trust in them, I let them do it. So, so well, uh, so yeah, that, I mean, that's, I, I kind of felt that's the way you were going to go with that. Um, mm-hmm. so I learned a lesson a long time ago from, a um, a guy, an outfitter out West, Dale Cameron. Um, I don't know if you know who he is or not, but, um, I had bought some dogs off Dale run blue dogs and Dale and I were having a conversation about rigging and this was when you know rigging wasn't um a it wasn't a big thing back then but dale told me and he's telling he's telling me the same thing that you're saying um he's telling me that Heath, i don't let my dogs i don't put them on top of the truck to rig a track until they can trail a track and when they can trail a track then i'll put them up and i'll let them work it by air um, so that's the exact right. same thing you're saying. So how do yeah. you, um, for me, I'm kind of curious. So when you have a dog that starts air scenting and he wants to go straight to it, are you just keep holding him back until he, he, he changes profile and goes back to the ground or h- how are you training that or how are you, uh, um, overcoming that, um, that 
body blown air sent to to get him back into the tracking mode. Right. I I'm constantly reading the dog when I'm on. We we have to track on lead in West Virginia, and I think the same in Virginia. Virginia it is. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm constantly in contact with that dog, and I'm reading that dog, and so I I can tell to the you know the inch where he's lost his concentration. I'm watching the. You know, watching him, watching the ground in front of me. And when that head comes up, I know exactly where I can get a restart at mm-hmm. with him. So I'll redirect him to track, and I just use a simple command track mm-hmm. and, and kind of give him a hand wave down where his nose should be. And when uh, it might take two or three times, but they'll get what I'm, I'm wanting them to do. And the more I work with them as a team in the woods, uh, they, they come to know exactly what I'm saying. Yep. And to trust me on that, and and once I see that they they've conquered that, I mean it. The the Yog Terriers are even bad about it. Uh, they want a body scent. I mean because they are just a prey driven dog. Mm-hmm. They track track track, and then all of a sudden, boom! You got a, a great body scent coming on a thermal. They want to go right to the kill site. So I'm used to working with these kind of dogs. And you just have to redirect them over and over, stay on that track. So it's reading, reading the dog, knowing where they're picking their nose up, come off track to get them back on it. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I'll even, I carry six inches, uh, six inch pieces of ribbon in my pocket. If I see them going into wind scent mode and start pulling me, I'll drop a ribbon where they pick their nose up. Mm-hmm. So I know where to restart them. Yeah, yeah. The, we've got two two in our group that are horrible about chasing odor. And when I say chasing odor for the guys listening or girls, um, they'll pick their head up, they hit that scent cone, and they run so hard that they run out of the scent cone. So they've pushed herself yes. past the odor, and then they get 30, 40, 50, however, long, however far the handler lets them go without picking up that behavioral change. And then they're trying to work back to it, and it's like a big zigzag through the woods, and it gets the lead tangled up, and it it's dangerous for your tracking team, for us. So we have to work really hard um, to do exactly what you're saying, is to try to keep those dogs on track. Um, but now for us, we want those dogs, we call it uh, proximity alerts. We want our dogs popping those proximity alerts when we get um, – you know, once we're within a hundred yards of the suspect, we want we want them dogs popping up. Um, oh yeah. So we can we understand that hey, you know, the danger is here, and I mean sometimes the dogs are so accurate that you know they'll literally turn their body right and point right to him um, where he's at. But right. yeah, I completely understand um, what you're telling me and ha- how that works. Um, you know, having a visual of that is like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you like I said, I, I, I see it. I see it in training every Monday. <laughs> like we see it all the time. Right. Uh, you, uh, we were on a, a track the other day uh, in a very mountainous area here, West Virginia, and we parked the jeep. and And Christy and I got out. We're we're running two Yog Terriers. We're running Jesse, our head female, and her daughter Massey. And we got them out of the jeep, suited them up uh, with their tracking harness set them on the ground and they both started giving us, as you said, proximity alerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it dead deer indication mm-hmm. right there at the Jeep. And 
the hunters looking at us, usually we play our, our cards close to the vest. I mean, we, we usually don't uh, tell a hunter, Oh, your deer's dead right here. Mm-hmm. You know, we just read the dog and let's go get on with the track, but they were going off so hard. Uh, with just standing on their hind legs, uh, much like a groundhog at their hole, mm. yeah. <laughs> looking around, and the hunter's like, what's going on? And I said, your deer's really close to our Jeep, but let's go run your track. And uh, we went and ran the track, and sure enough, the deer had come from the top of the mountain all the way down that hollow and was within 40 yards of where we had parked. Nice. So, nice. I mean, I, we could have really, you know, if, just let them go. And we could have been right there on a deer 40 yards away, uh, gone to the next one. But uh, we like to run the track. I mean, that's uh, that's what it's about. Yep. So. Yeah. And every, you know, every deployment for us, just like you, I mean, every time you go on a track, it's a it's a learning it's a learning um, process. And plus, you're gaining experience that you can't get anywhere else. You can't. It's hard to set those um, up in training because each one right. is always individually different. And that's what I always tell my guys. Like every deployment is nothing but a information gathering source. That's what it is. That's what we do. So, well, I tell my tractors something similar. They, they ask me, uh, how long, how long does it take you to train a dog? Um, <laughs> and I tell them, I said, it's not how long it takes me to train the dog. It's how long it takes that dog to train me. Yeah. Because each dog's different. I ha- I, they train me to them, to them, and then I know from there how to read them and guide them and what, what we need to do. So, But, it, yeah, each dog's a teacher to me also as much as I am to it. Yeah. So, well, that's what I that's tell what I, I, Go ahead. Yeah. And, and that's what I try to convey to young trackers. You know, you can't learn this stuff uh, watching YouTube videos. You cannot learn it. Uh, running mock tracks you have to do it in the field you have to track 40 or 50 tracks a year at a minimum to have a good dog so yeah no i'm i'm with you um so how i mean i know you said that you started 30 years ago but what got you into um the the deer tracking business like what's what what said to you like hey i think i want to do this and i I don't make a go at it well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we we lobbied hard to get West Virginia to pass a wounded game tracking law. Um, as it was working its way through the legislature, we knew it was going to pass. Uh, we had done our research and had already uh, purchased uh, our first yog terrier and had, was already training her when the whole COVID uh, thing hit. Well, at the time, I was a um, environmental inspector on uh, pipelines mm-hmm. here in West Virginia and Pennsylvania. And at the time, I was working one in Pennsylvania, and I was deemed a non-essential employee. So I was laid off. Yep. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know necessity is the mother of invention and and Chrissy and I talked and I, she said, uh, what are we going to do? You know, I'm like, hey, you know, let's start a tracking business. I said, we've already, you know, we already do training. We do training for other people. Let's increase our, our training school footprint, uh, from one or two dogs a year up to 30 or 40. 
And I said, and let's just track full time during the season as much as we can and develop our own line of dogs and pups and go from there. And here we are, you know, three years later, going into our fourth year, uh, starting this February, it'll be our fourth year of business. And it's just exploded. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's really taken off in the last couple of years. Um, I, I guess I paid attention last year, but this year it seems like it's, it's. I mean, it's really popped. Yeah, we we have had, uh, I mean, great success. Uh, trackers coming to us. Uh, number one, we gain a lot of people through our training school. They bring their dog here. We train. Uh, they come back and test and train at the end with the dog. And then they're like, how do we start a tracking business? And we, we pretty much give them a turn how to, how to operation. And, and they want to work our referrals because we're gaining so many referrals from all over the country. I mean, we get calls from States. We don't even have trackers in, but we just, you know, we have contacts in and we, and we send those referrals to those contacts, but we love to have trackers to work our, system and our way of tracking in, in several states nice and that's where we're at now with seven states and several trackers working for us so so well before we get into the scene preservation how long is your sure. school how long is our it, this is how i answer that and the, i know the, yeah, the short, I, I know where you're going yep the shortest amount i'll take a dog is a month mm-hmm. and it depends on budget i mean it, you know, I'd, I'd love to train everybody's dog, but, I, you know, I can't. As a business, uh, it goes on budget. So uh, a month, we can we can get some basics into a pop uh, to where I can give some really good homework to the owner and they can have a serviceable dog. But if I could have a pop or a young dog here for three to six months, we could do some amazing things with it mm-hmm. and, yeah. and have in the past. I mean, we've. We've had people come pick up their pups and and uh, go and start right into tracking, especially if they pick their pup up in September or so, and they're they're ready. Um, now they're going to have some bumps and bruises along the way, but they're ready to go hit the field with their with their owner and and uh, start recovering some deer. So with that, when when you finish a dog, is there a a certain criteria or a standard? that um or a certificate is there something that you sign off on saying yes this dog has acquired 50 tracks and and it could be training tracks or whatever this dog and i'm just making up a number this dog's met this type of um standard this is where he's at and this is how this is where we're at with him or is it just here's where your dog's at here's what you need to do and you go from there okay uh, the first, uh, the first couple of years we had the school, the, the, the latter description is what we were doing. We're saying, here's where your dog's at. Mm-hmm. This is where you need to go. Here's homework. I tell everybody that has a dog there, their dog will only be as good as, as their contact back with me. Um, because I can constantly give homework, little things they can do to improve. But, uh, last year we saw a need not only for dogs leaving our school, but for other dogs um, in in the area and throughout two or three state area here for a like a tracking test. 
And so we started our own um, uh, wounded game testing. And uh, we, own, we own our own uh, tracking and shed dog registry, uh, which we just got started this last spring, and we're, we're growing it. And under that, we do uh, tracking dog testing and shed dog testing. So we have three levels of tests under each. And when they, when a pup leaves here and the owner comes to pick it up uh, and they schedule with us, we, we have them spend uh, half a day with the pup. Uh, we take them out on a couple mock tracks. And then we have them run the pup on wounded game tracking one test. And it's not um, some difficult test, but it, it's a good read to see if the handler uh, the new owner knows a little bit what we can coach them on to do, but it's a good test. on. They can see what the dog's doing and feedback to us. And we like them to leave here with that wounded game testing one uh, certificate and patch and uh, and encourage them to come back over the years and try to try to do our wounded game testing two and three. Nice. So, yeah. So, I yes, mean, sir. at least you're putting stuff in place that – you know, that gives that dog more credibility. Yes. We're, we are trying our, uh, our hardest, uh, to, to grow some testing. I mean, there are other testing organizations out there, uh, such as United blood trackers. So if somebody wanted to come take our, uh, our tests, um, maybe our two second level and third level tests, we'll accept the UBT one and two as a substitute for ours. Um, and we'll go ahead and test. Uh, so if somebody has the UBT2 certificate uh, and they want to try our wounded game tracking three, we'll invite them to come on over and try it um, since they have uh, what we look as an equivalent testing. Right. So. Well, good. And, and as we grow our registry, one of the ideas behind our registry was with tracking dogs, and everybody can say they have a tracking dog, but we like – we're going to start encouraging owners to uh, uh, register into our registry, and we put the recoveries that the dog has on their pedigree. So if a, if a dog's three years old and they have 220 whitetail recoveries, that'll be on their pedigree, you know, So and their testing level. Oh, wow. So you, you'll know you're getting a tracking dog. Now, we're still building that. The registry is a work in progress, but but we're getting there. Who will the registry be through? Well, it'll be our own Your registry. Own but each dog that's in there will actually, when they register into us, will be double registered. That, you know, they may be an AKC dog. They may be a UKC uh-huh. or an NKC dog. But they'll register into us, and they'll have a double registration. There. Nice. Yes, I completely understand that. Okay. Well, all right. So, well, now let's get into the 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 – heart of the conversation so okay. m- me as a deer hunter i have right. um shot i've shot a, a deer um i've seen it take off i'm not sure where the shot placement placement was and i get down out of my stand or i go to where the deer was last seen standing and mm-hmm. now what do i need need to do or do i need to even back it up before i get out of the stand what do do deer hunters what do we as deer hunters need to do to help preserve the scene and i say scene 
the right. that area so that you guys can come in and don't have to wade through a bunch of contamination or tracks that we have put out there. Um, what what do we need to do as deer hunters to help the process and make it help it where it's faster for you guys? Well, that's a great question, uh, and, and this is a great topic. It's something we educate on constantly here. Um, we we we're on several several big deer hunting Facebook groups, and we're constantly educating. One of the biggest things I push hunters to do. If tracking's legal, always have the dog in your mind. Okay, if the deer runs out of your sight, if if you don't drop this deer in its tracks, or you don't, and it does, or it doesn't fall within your sight, I tell everybody save our number in your phone. Everybody has a cell phone now, and just give us a quick call or a text from the stand. A call's free. We're always here. And we're always here to give advice. A lot of times I have to text or I have one of my trackers text with you back and forth, but you can give some details and we can kind of talk you through it. Hey, it's, you know, we, we ask a series of questions and we can kind of come up with an idea where you maybe hit this deer before you even got out of the stand. We can also maybe determine if you even need a dog. Um, we can give you wait times. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can start doing while you're still sitting in the deer stand. And a nice thing is, is we're there just to talk with you. And maybe it calms you down and keeps you from doing something stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's, and and we tell people, you know, phone call and texting's free. Um, So our number one goal is to help everyone recover their deer, period. Whether it's with a dog or without a dog. Um, And and we want to... You know, if it can be done without a dog, that's our number one priority. So just text us, call us. Uh, if you're a person that doesn't do that, uh, we'll move to the next step. You know, everybody has to get down out of the stand and go see where they hit this deer at. Um, one of the things a lot of people do is that I don't understand hunters. They don't carry flagging with them. One of the cheapest little things you can buy at a Lowe's or a Home Depot is a roll of flagging and have it in your backpack. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yes. Flag, flag the impact site. A lot of times, sometimes at impact, especially like with an archery hunter, maybe you don't have blood immediately, but you find a puff of hair. Okay? Just a little bit of hair or something. And you don't mark it and you start walking and looking for your track. And you lose track of where that is. You wouldn't believe how many times, we, you know, we show up and he and a hunter says, I think I hit this deer right here somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then then we're walking around trying to figure it out. What are we tromping on too? <laughs> you know, so carry flagging with you. And when you when you find that first initial impact site, mark it. Just tie a ribbon in a tree, lay some ribbon on the ground, put a rock on it, something So we have a starting point. We can look at it, read it. Um, One of the other things I encourage hunters to do is use that cell phone again and take pictures. Take pictures of that impact site. Um, If you find your arrow there, don't just pick it up and stick it in your quiver. Take pictures of it on the ground and leave it there. Uh, If you're going to have a tracker come in, we can tell a lot from the way that arrow is laying, where it's laying, what's on the arrow, uh, as to 
how this track's going to go. So that that's some advice on that impact site. Right, can I ask a before we move on? Can I ask a couple questions? Sure. Um, first, on the flagging, that is something that yes. we preach in our our school too. Um, I mean, it's so easy, but guys, most everybody's got toilet paper or napkin or something. If you don't have flagging, rip it up and wrap it around a, a branch or, like you said, put it underneath a rock. It's the easiest thing, and most everybody's got it on them. That's right. Just <laughs> mark your mark your <laughs> <Yes>. trail. <laughs> mark um, your trail. Yeah. The second thing, so, um, and I'm kind of going into my, my uh, starting point for some stuff we do. So will you use that arrow as your um your scent um what's the word I'm looking for? Is your scent article. Or my scent. or will you just use it for um uh information collecting? Okay, that's a great question. Uh with the versatile breeds that we run, I I don't use it as a scent article. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we train our bloodhound handlers to use it as a scent article because the bloodhounds seem to do better when they get that initial just overpowering uh, scent overload that they can profile that deer with. Mm -hmm. So uh, with the bloodhound handlers, I tell them if that arrow's clean, use that as your scent article. Also, at the impact site, if you've got some, as a bloodhound handler, now, I know most guys don't do this, but I've worked with a lot of bloodhounds. Um, used to be uh, with West Virginia Division of Forestry, and we, we have bloodhounds in our law enforcement unit, and I always was volunteering to work with them because it was so interesting. Uh, we always would gather just a little bit of that on a deer, maybe a little bit of hair, maybe a leaf with uh, blood on it, um, maybe a little bit of dirt out of that known track of that deer and put it in a brown paper bag and just carry it with us to let that bloodhound reprime on that. That's your sun article in your brown paper bag along the track. Maybe he gets distracted or something. Just let him reprime on that. And usually it gets him right back on track. So very good question. But with our versatile breeds, I don't use it as a sun article. I just, I just get them started on the impact and we go. So yeah, so you just basically do um, you just free cast them in that general area, let them pick up the exit track and and move on. Yes, yes, I do. Yep. Um, you can just yeah, especially the yog terriers. You can see them just absolutely in their little head, building a scent profile right there in that small area, and then all of a sudden they catch it and they're gone. And pretty neat, pretty neat to watch. All right, so before we move on, let's just recap that a little bit so everybody understands. So you want to mark the um, the hit location. Um, yes. You want to take pictures. You want to preserve it the best you can. Um, right. You can use flagging. You can use toilet paper, napkins, paper towels, whatever you got stuffed on you. If you don't have the ribbon that you can go to Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, and buy for $2.99 and stick in your backpack. Exactly. Brighter colors help. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, brighter colors help. So that's stuff that, that we want to accomplish and we want to get done for you guys. Now, now right. I've got down and I've found the hit location and I've decided that I'm going to track it. I'm going to try to track it on my own. Okay. Now that you've decided you're going to track it on your own, for you know, I, 
maybe we should back up a little bit. Each hunter needs to educate themselves on how deer react to each different hit. Okay, a you know a chest a chest hit is a lot different than a liver hit is, and that's different from a gut and intestinal hit. Deer react different, and when you can, as a hunter, say, "Oh, I may have hit that deer in, in the liver because he didn't even act like I hit him, and he just walked off." Then, then you need to educate yourself to that how that deer reacts, and what the wait time should be. This is another scene preservation thing: is wait time. Too many hunters don't have no patience, and they leave their stand. They find the impact, they mark the impact. Oh, I've got a blood trail. I'm just going to go ahead and follow it without stopping and thinking, where did I hit this deer? Um, of course, every hunter tells you they hit them perfect. <laughs> yeah, so, of course. <laughs> of course, but they don't. And um, a hunter doesn't need to be on a uh, gut and intestinal shot deer five minutes after they pulled the trigger, or all they're going to do is run the deer. So part of the scene preservation is, slowing down, realizing where you hit the animal and how long do I need to wait? I tell everybody, if it goes out of sight, wait a minimum of at least two to three hours, at least if it goes out of sight and you, and you don't have a clue. And I've had guys say, well, I just felt I hit it perfect. And I said, well, here's something to think about dead right now is still dead later. Uh, you know, if it's dead out of sight, it's going to be dead in three hours when you get there and go ahead and, and look. But in that, if you're not for sure where you hit it in that time frame, that three hour time frame, you know, that deer would have time to bed up and maybe you're not just chasing it. Maybe you can slow track it to a point and you bump it, then you can back out. Uh, but we, we, we try to educate hunters constantly on the different hit reactions and hopefully they learn to wait the appropriate wait times. But we, we hear it every day. I should have waited, but I didn't, uh, story. And, uh, that, that's just an important thing with that scene preservation is wait time. But if you got to go ahead and take up that track, you keep that ribbon in your hand and you don't want to walk on the blood track. I see so many people doing that yes. or on the direction of travel. If they think that, you know, some hits you have no blood and yet people will walk right down where they think that deer went right down. Um, I try to tell people, you know, stay at least five or six feet to the side of where you think the track is, or if you see a blood trail, where you see the blood trail. Um, that way, Number one, you're not just trampling it into the ground. Number two, you're not getting the uh, blood or or any of the interdigital uh, scent or any of the gut material on your feet, and you track it all over the country, <laughs> uh, create, creating more problems for the dog than is really needed. Yeah. So that that's that's one of the things we preach, um, and of course. Uh, Everybody always wants to track and go and go and go. And I try to remind these guys, hang that ribbon as you go. Don't, don't try to go to last blood and then mark. Let's just mark your trail as you go. Makes it easier for the tracker when they come in to kind of look down through the woods, look through a field and kind of see a line of travel 
And we teach our guys and gals to read topography and understand deer. And if that line's marked and, and we can put it together with the topography out in front of us, as a handler, I can have a fairly good idea of where I'm probably going with this dog. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, if the dog starts doing something quirky, uh, then I can start paying attention a lot closer than just running behind the dog on a track. So something kind of come to my mind while you were talking. Um, sure. I feel like, and I, I mean, tell us, so if I'm hunting in the mountains, if I'm in the national forest, I'm up in the, the roughest, thickest, steepest country that you can get in, in our area. To me, mm-hmm. I feel like that it is much more important to, for the wait time and and to make sure that I haven't messed things up because it's going to be 10 times harder to find that deer than if I was hunting in Ohio in the farm fields and the, the corn fields and the bean fields. Right. I mean, each area has their difficulties, mm-hmm. but I, I think mountain country is a different tracking game. Um, uh, hunters and trackers have to understand thermals. Uh, they have to understand how topography changes wind direction. I mean, there's not, you, you never have a solid wind direction in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you go from, uh, you know, steep country to benches to, uh, laurel thickets to, uh, we deal with a lot of strip mine country, um, old abandoned strip mines. I mean, every, you never know what's being thrown to, to you in the mountains and, you know, very seldom are there consistencies mm-hmm. in topography in the mountains. I mean, we don't say, oh, we got a flat field. This steer probably went from pat, this patch of woods across this cornfield and died in that creek over in that patch of woods. It's not that easy here. Right. Um, and, and some of these deer are, are pretty crafty, even after taking a mortal hit, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you follow them too soon. So, and, uh, all right, so I've hit a deer and... Mm-hmm. You know, you saying to wait two to three hours at the minimum. Um, right. I have watched several shows, and I, like I said, we've had, you know, two other guys on here that do the deer tracking. Um, what is your what is your time limit? Like, let's say that I go back in the morning. Let's say I, got, I feel like I gut shot a deer, and I just used a bow because that seems like it happens more. Um, I gut shot a deer. I'm smart enough to know that, hey – I'm not even going to push this deer. The weather's cool enough. I'm not worried about it. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and leave this until morning, and I'm going to come back in the morning and track it. Right. Well, then I go in in the morning, and I I spend half a day trying to track it, and I come up with nothing. And then I'm like, well, you know, I really want to recover this this animal, so I'm going to give Sean a call and see if he can come in. So what is your time frames? What is your – you know, and I know I mean, we don't have to get into the weather and, and everything like that, but, you know, what is your time frame for those type of things? Okay, I, another good question. I And I can use, um, we, we like to be there by, you know, the 48-hour mark. Um, if the weather's good, we, we've recovered several at the 72-hour mark. 
which is three full days. Um, and that's on track. That's not grid searching or wind searching. We've, we've had tracks at, at the 72 hour mark. Sooner is better. Um, what I try to educate our hunters with is that, like I, we talked about there just a little earlier, that initial phone call or text from the tree stand. Put me on your radar, or put you on my radar, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, say, I've done this shot. What do you think? I say, hey, that sounds like you got shot that deer. Don't track it tonight. Go in first thing in the morning. You'll probably find it in its first bed dead. Um, but get back to me as soon as possible. Uh, then I can get to him the very next morning as a first call. Uh, so you're looking at that 36 hour to 48 hour time frame uh, from shot, and that's just the that's just the norm in the tracking world. Unless you just hire me, unless you just hire me from the tree stand and say, "What do you think?" and I say, "It sounds like a gut shot." Come out and run it. Which I, I have a situation like that that we're going to go run in the morning. The guy just contacted me, said, "I made a terrible shot. I know there's going to be very little blood or sign on this. The deer went out of sight. I didn't follow it. I'm going home." <laughs> come track my deer then i can get to him within 12 hours which should be a pretty hot track for our dogs so so and i'm going back to another question so when you sure. go out 24 hours and i've let's say that i've tracked 100 or 200 yards i'll just go with that and i found sign up okay. to that 200 yard point and then mm-hmm. i've taken your tips and advice and i've tied a little ribbon off that the last sign that I found um and I can't do it. Are you going to go back to the hit hit place or are you going to do it from the end where I couldn't find any more sign? Great. That's a great question. Uh that really depends on which dog I have with me. If uh if I'm running a young dog, I'm going back to that that impact site. I'm going to let that Young dog build a complete scent profile on that deer and, and follow that track. Even though it's marked with ribbons, that dog doesn't know what a ribbon is. I do, and I can. that allows me with ease to read that dog on that initial start and go. And then when we get to that last sign, by the time then, that dog's fully immersed in that scent and should just be blasting on, uh, ready to follow that deer, even if we don't find another drop of blood, but purely on that inner digital scent that's associated with that deer. Now, with my more experienced dogs, such as uh, our, our three-year-old uh, Yog Terrier uh, Jess, uh, I can set her down at last blood and just go. But that comes with experience and, and reading your dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most trackers will start at that impact site uh, unless they really trust that dog. You, I mean, you have to have a deep trust in that dog to start at that last blood. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's some of the things we go through. It's, it's the same with us. It's a lot of situation, uh, depending on the situation, depending on, you know, have they had three or four buddies out there with them searching for four or five hours, you know, have, you know, have they done it on their own and they've not, you know, completely muddied up everything. Right. I tell and a lot of hunters, uh, a lot of hunters will track like a liver or a gut shot deer, uh, to that first bed because they usually jump them mm-hmm. because they're following too soon. So they'll quit at that bed 
a lot of times there won't be blood from that bed or, or sign. So that'll be a start point for us. Now, a young dog on a gut shot deer can start from a bed uh, pretty well. I mean, they can build a good scent profile right there and go. So, and, and there won't be any human disturbance from there on out. But um, exactly. Uh, that's the other thing we you get into. You just mentioned, you know, having the four or five buddies out there. One of the worst ideas in the world. Uh, you know, you always have those buddies that says, just go a little further, a little further, a little further, walking right on the trail. And then you, if you have two or three buddies, you're, there's always going to be the optimist and the pessimist. And, and they'll both will get you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> is what, yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. That optimist is always wanting to push. He's just going to be dead right here. He's just going to be dead right here. And that, that optimist buddy is the one that's going to talk you into running your deer out of the country. Yeah. And, and the, right. And the pessimist buddy is the other end. You, you didn't kill this deer. I don't even know why you're looking for it. You're wasting your time. Yeah. Um, and they'll get you in trouble because then you'll want to quit a track that's a viable track with a mortally hit deer. So I, I tell guys, you know, it's always good. It's good to have friends and buddies, but on a track, your best friend's your tracker. Give them a call and, and see what they have to say and, and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I think we've all been guilty of, part bits and bits and pieces of that whole scenario <laughs> um, every every one of us every one of us it's hunted any amount of time we've all been one a part of that somehow yeah i lost one of the biggest deer i ever shot and the guys found it uh in late season i shot it in um first week of rifle and then back the january they found it and I was on the right track, and I just he got down in a laurel thicket, and I just didn't find him, and they found him in there. Um, um, but yeah, so I get it, and I I shouldn't have pushed him. That was my problem. I jumped him up twice, and that was mm -hmm. on, that was on me. So, well, Sean, is there yeah. anything on the you know on taking care of the scene? Is there anything that we may have left out or may have not touched on that you feel like is important or um, or viable to? the success of heart or, or of um, recovering that animal? I, I, I mean, I think like touching on the, we were talking about having the friends come out. Um, I just, I try to tell people, you know, I guess hunters have a, I have a macho ness to them that they want to go find their own deer, which I understand. Uh, I'm a, I'm a mountaineer mountain kid. When I shot a deer, I tracked it and I found it. You know, as I got older here, I've, I've realized, you know, this dogs are valuable tools. They're our best friends and they're a valuable tool. You go out and you put so much money in, into deer hunting anymore. Uh, you put, you know, hundreds of dollars into these cell trail cams. Uh, you put hundreds of dollars into your bow into your tree stands into your guns uh, ammo but you're afraid to ask for help and maybe spend a couple hundred dollars on a deer track doesn't make sense to me no. um and like i tell everybody the advice is free um we've had people as for an example i got on one of my facebook posts i, I did the advice is free thing talking to people the next day i got a phone call 
from a gentleman hunting in the Everglades in Florida, asking for advice on a deer shot. And he said, I know there's no way you can help me with a dog down here, but just to have you tell me and, and help me talk through it is going to ease my mind because I really don't have any buddies down here. I'm doing this by myself and uh, I just need some advice. Advice is free and, and it'll get you a long ways. <laughs> well, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, it never hurts to call and especially with, you know, an expert, you know, like yourself, it never hurts to call and say, Hey, this is what I've got. What do you think? And is this something I should do X, Y, and Z on? And, you know, we tell our guys that all the time. I mean, um, our guys don't, you know, we've got, like I said, we've got six, I've got 16 dogs in my group and we don't deploy on a track. And I know it's a little different, but we don't deploy on a track without somebody else going with us or we kind of touch base with, hey, this is what we got. What do you think? Before we ever get there. So right. you're doing the same thing just on the other end of it. You're you're right. saying, hey, you know, maybe you should do this or maybe you should think about that. Um, and I mean, it, I think that's a really good point that maybe we don't think about enough is, you know, pick up a phone. I mean, call somebody like there's. You know, you guys are on Facebook. Pick it up, call, and say, "Hey, this is what I got. This is what I can do. Or this is what I can't do." Right, exactly. And to further that, like you were saying with your guys, we with our network of trackers, we do the same thing with our trackers. Every track that comes in, even ones that I agree to take, and I'm the owner, and uh, and we have different levels of trackers. I still run my tracks by our group. Uh, at pictures that are sent to me, I share, we have, um, uh, um, text string. I share them and say, guys, what do you think? Uh, a lot of times I already know the answer or I think I do. And, but I want to see what my young guys say. Mm -hmm. Um, this is how I'm teaching them to come up through and we're always bouncing stuff off each other. Now we have a very structured system. We have four levels of trackers and, a chain of command, much like uh, a police organization or the military. I come from military and law enforcement background. So as the owner, I don't want to always be bombarded by questions from the apprentices, but I'm there to answer them if, if they need them answered, but we have a chain of command, and, but we're always bouncing information off each other. And I bounce it down the chain. They bounce it up the chain. And if a hunter calls in or sends a picture and it's something I haven't seen before. Maybe one of my other guys have seen it. Mm -hmm. And and we help each other along that route. So when a hunter does call in, they're getting 20 trackers with, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of recoveries and tracks under their belt. Uh, thousands of deer that have been hunted and killed in that group because they're not just guys with a dog on a lead. These are woodsmen that we hire. Uh, that have been there, done that, and that also know how to read and run a dog. So pretty great advantage to it. So how many, um, just, I'll just go with you because you've got so many. What is your average um, deployment? How many times do you, how many tracks do you do a year for, for live game, not training, but how many, what's right. the average that you get called out per year? Uh 
Chrissy and I, Chrissy, my, my girlfriend and I, we track as a team. We'll do 80 to 100 tracks a year. This year it's going to be close to 80 uh, because I've kind of cut back a little bit this year. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get older, so I have to slow down a little bit. Um, most of our other trackers that work for us have full-time jobs as well as track. Mm-hmm. So they'll track. We like to see them track at least 40 tracks a year which we consider to be a minimum to have a good dog. And, and I mean at that, at a good dog level, uh, we try to push them, you know, to get up there in the 50, 55 range. If they're really wanting to push and have a great dog over the years. Um, we have trackers that, that do work for us that only take 10 to 15 tracks a year, uh, just because of what their schedule allows. And they're not into it as hardcore, but that doesn't mean they don't have a decent dog that can't go out and do the job. And uh, then we have apprentices that try to pick up as many tracks as they can, but they have young dogs. And it's harder for an apprentice to get tracks just because people don't trust an apprentice. But there's a lot of situations where we can get them out and get them tracking. So um, that's kind of the makeup of how we do. But we do 80 to 100 a year so. You know, we see several over a three or four year time period. We see three to four hundred tracks. Pretty easy. So, how far do you have to travel to get that many tracks in per year? Well, we Chrissy and I cover the whole state of West Virginia, uh, wherever we're needed, and we go into Ohio and we try to set up a route. And when we go, we we do three to four tracks in a day. Um. But uh, so, and we cover some ground. Um, these winding mountain roads and stuff. I I I wish I could get to six a day, but there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the terrain here forbids it. Uh, I mean, it, you can be, I can be twenty miles from where I need to be as a crow flies, and it takes me an hour to drive around to it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Time is a limiting factor on how many tracks we get in a year. And, um, but we'll, we'll track like tomorrow we're heading to, uh, Southwest, uh, Southern West Virginia, uh, down towards the Kentucky border. And we're going to work that area tomorrow and do two or three tracks. And, uh, then we have trackers covering the rest of the state, uh, as needed, uh, for tomorrow. Um, we have four guys that work in Ohio and they're covering a lot of, uh, Eastern Ohio from the Kentucky border all the way up to the PA border in Lake Erie. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of territory we cover and a lot of territory that a person would cover. Um, I, I know, I know the state of West Virginia pretty well. <laughs> oh yeah. Been all over. So if you've got three tracks lined up, tomorrow did they call you today and you said okay you know we're heading down there tomorrow we'll we'll take care of it or like- that's a that, yeah that's a great question because what happens uh, you get a mixture of both like our first track in the morning was <clears throat> actually like I, I was telling you earlier a gentleman that called us from the stand mm-hmm. he said I, i've made a poor shot on this deer i think it's a gut shot a shot he humped up he walked off he went out of sight I just want you to come track. So he was immediately on our radar. I could get him booked the first thing in the morning. Then as the evening progressed, I started getting calls from guys 
that have been out all day today looking for a deer they shot last night. So by the time I get there tomorrow, we're starting to push that 48 hour mark. Um, during the rut, which the ruts start to slow down here in West Virginia, uh, we were getting 40 to 50 calls a day and we would be booked up 24 to 36 hours out. And so that's why we push hunters to call immediately from the stand and get on our radar. So we know, Hey, there's a possible one here. We can have a route set up and if you need us, we can get there. Um, either that, or you might be waiting to that three day mark. And when you get to that three day mark, that 72, or let's just call it 48 hours plus it, it can become an iffy thing. And then you have weather move in and other factors. So, uh, that's, that's how we operate that way. That's how we set our track lines up. I get it. So when you have, to, if you get pushed out for the second or third day, how often do you see the guys have went back multiple times trying to find that deer before you get there? Um, every one of them, very few of them stay out of the woods. And as I've become more experienced, I just, I tell my hunters, I know I'm not going to keep them out of the woods. So I don't, I don't want to say just stay out of there. I, I tell them, go ahead and go look. Because if I tell them that I, I learned this early in tracking, if I stay, if I tell them to stay out of there, they're going to lie to me. Mm-hmm. And then once they start lying to me about that, they're going to lie to me about everything about that track. So if I just go ahead and say, go in there and look, just try to preserve the actual track. I mean, if you want to go look and you want to walk from one high point to another high point and glass the bottoms and stuff, go ahead and do that. Just don't tromp my track up if you, if you want me there. Um, that's actually built a lot more trust. I've had some guys find their deer and that, that's a statistic we keep here is a recovery without a dog. If we talk somebody into recovering their deer without and needing us to be on the ground, we keep that stat because I think that's just as important as putting a dog on it and finding it. Mm -hmm. So well, yeah, yes, your sir. advice, your advice helped. I mean, I, yeah, I, I get that. And our, our canine program kind of works the same way on some of the stuff, you know, we have like, you know, apprehension with a bite or without a bite. And we had a scenario, right. um, two nights ago where a guy bailed out and run and tracking team shows up. And as soon as he hears the dog barking, he literally almost comes running out of the woods I'm here, give, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm giving up, I'm giving up. And, you know, that counts as an apprehension for us, and we never got the dog out of the car, but it was because the dog was present for us. So it kind of, it's the same thing, kind of a little different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're my first thing, I, I know there's trackers out there that do it, and, you know, I don't fault anybody for how they do things. I know there's trackers out there, as soon as they get a call and, a, and somebody tells them, I hit a deer and went out of sight, and tracker says get out of there and stay out of there till i get there yeah um which that's fine that's a way to run if that's the way they want to run that's fine nothing wrong with that um but we want our hunters you know to be hunters if they can find their deer hey find your deer um maybe it's not the best business model but that's the way i do things on that and i've had a lot of people actually call us back maybe the next year and hire us for a track because we were honest with them the year before and said, well, you can find that deer. Just give it this amount of time, wait and go look. And, uh, that, that impressed, uh, us being honest with them like that instead of just running out and taking the money. 
Well, I mean, and what you're saying, you know, in the the field that I'm in, like, yeah, people are just going to lie to you if if you're trying to to do that, and it makes complete sense to me that you know if you tell them, yeah, go on, you know, go on and do your thing, just don't take ten people in there with you. You're going to get better and more reliable information that way. And exactly. That helps us, you know, exactly. help, helps you be successful and helps us be successful. So I completely get it. Right. And that's another thing, going back to the initial call and, and scene preservation, is be honest with the tracker. Yeah. Uh, don't, you know, and be honest with yourself. Um, the first thing I don't need to hear, unless it's the absolute truth, is, man, I, I hit this deer perfect. Because if you hit it perfect, you probably wouldn't be on the phone with me. That's right. Yeah. And now I don't use that line a lot during archery season because anything can happen with a bow. Mm -hmm. But Monday morning, Monday morning, my phone's going to start ringing during our rifle season kickoff here in West Virginia. And I hear it every time. Hey, man, I just hit a deer with a seven mag and I hit him perfect. And I'm like, then why are you on the phone with me? Yeah. Well, that deer, <laughs> it's laying there somewhere if you hit him perfect. <laughs> That's right. He's right there somewhere. Yeah. So, but that, yeah, I just wanted to add that in. You know, that part, be honest with the tracker. And and I'm brutal, I'm just brutal honest with people back. I mean, you know, I didn't get a lot into my background, but I, I hold a forestry uh, uh a bachelor's degree in forestry and a master's degree in biology. I've done this a lot. I've been around deer. I've, I've done it, been around a lot of deer necropsies. I've hunted and killed a lot of deer and tracked a lot of deer. So I try to be honest with the hunter. I do a full interview. And if I think they've made a non-mortal hit, I tell them, I just don't run out there and track it. I say, I don't think you made a non-mortal hit. I'm not going to tell you not to track. Maybe go ahead and grid. If you find evidence to change my mind, otherwise get back to me. Right. And so I don't go track every deer, which um, some of the national, uh, other national organizations, they, they tell their members to track every deer. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I want to help as many hunters that I can that have made mortal hits uh, to find their deer and get as many of those in as I can. Um, or what I believe to be mortal hits because they know they all don't end up just because I think they are. doesn't mean they are. And a lot of times, sometimes just because I don't think they're a mortal hit doesn't mean they aren't because they go out and find their deer. They send me a picture, which I tell them, you know, you find your deer. If I'm wrong, send me a picture, send me pictures of wounds. So I know how you hit it and what killed this deer. So I can help the next guy when I talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's all about the the gathering that information to to put the the best um, plan in place to to recover the animal. So yeah, right. I get it. <clears throat> right. Well, Sean, I really we appreciate you coming on and spending your evening talking to us. Um, there was a lot of good information we have not touched on that before, and hopefully, you know, people will we'll start taking into consideration and start making a phone call. You know, a five minute conversation yep. may go a long way. Exactly. It, it could go a long way and save you a little bit of money. <laughs> yes, that's right. So Sean, every time we end the episode with thank you for helping us teach, train and learn. It has been a pleasure uh, talking with you this evening. 
Well, I appreciate the invite to be on, and uh, thank you very much. You're welcome.